Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Um, I don't have notes. Um, the message is that new. And um, Pastor Jim sent out, if you know what you're speaking on, let me know. That's never really me. And so I go, I don't know. And then the Lord dropped a little message series on me. And a lot of times we come to conferences and our conference is the prophetic in power. And this one like gripped me. I could tell it wasn't something like Jim made up just to have a good moniker. I mean, God spoke to him. And so I'm going to entitle this message, The Prophetic in Power. And I'm going to break it into three parts. I'm going to speak the first part tonight, the second part tomorrow morning in our conference, and the third part at Grace Covenant Church. I tell you that here for the conference, you can get the podcast off Grace Covenant Church. So tonight I want to talk about basically cultivating the miraculous. How do we cultivate in our life, in our church, a heart for the miraculous, but an atmosphere that attracts God? Like, what does it take, like, to cultivate that? Tomorrow I'll talk about contending for the miraculous, and then Sunday I'm going to talk very specifically to this church about creating space for the ongoing miraculous. Now, Lord, we thank you, Father, for your spirit, your grace, um, Lord, this is your message. Lord, Father, I I don't quite even know where it's going, but I thank you for it. Amen. In Luke 4.14, Jesus has been in the wilderness 40 days. Um, He has been in a tremendous battle with the enemy. Um, Using scripture, battling the enemy. The enemy, the Bible says, finally backs off, defeated, looking for another opportune time. The angels strengthen him. And he comes out, as verse 14 says, he comes to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Miracles and healings are breaking loose. And the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Now, scholars kind of argue, did Capernaum come after Nazareth, before Nazareth, two times? I tend to believe he touched Capernaum before Nazareth and went again, but that's open to dispute. He goes to Nazareth. Uh, They've heard the miracle stories. And if you were thinking, why not Nazareth? If there was any city that might become the miracle center of Jesus, it was this one. I mean, his mama grew up there. It was in Nazareth that Gabriel had come. Spoken the word. It was in Nazareth that Joseph, something in him, wouldn't let him divorce that girl. And Gabriel came. It was in Nazareth when they returned from Egypt. They came back to. Everyone knew the stories. Everyone remembered he was a different kid. The rumors of what had happened with the Sanhedrin when he was 12 made their way. They'd watched him grow up. No one knew him like they did. You would think in the natural, this would become his miracle headquarters. I mean, they knew him. He grew up there. No people on the earth knew Jesus like Nazareth. They knew 
There never was anything recorded of him doing wrong. He's never been disrespectful. Never had a smart mouth. And now the stories were echoing from the nation that out of obscure Nazareth, a miracle worker had come. Like John the Baptist in some ways, yet miraculous. And he came back home. We know from Mark his sisters were still living there. Evidently his brothers had moved from Mark's comments. And he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read. Can you imagine he'd had his bar mitzvah. Grown to adulthood there. Probably fixed the furniture of most people in the town. Been a carpenter there. They watched him stay and take care of his brothers and sisters when his, when his stepdaddy Joseph had died. The perfect son stayed till 30. And now he's back, and they've heard him read the Torah before, and now he reads it and something different happens. He begins to read from the book of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. They're later going to say his words were gracious. When you look in the Greek, that means they were life-filled. There was something different. Maybe they were feeling a bit seeping into that old synagogue like the Sanhedrin had felt. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's this pregnant pause. Then he rolls up the scroll hands it to the attendants, and sits down in silence. Every eye is on him, and here's what he said. He began saying to them, this scripture is fulfilled today. Right, flat, in their midst, the Messiah has come. They're stunned. At first, all spoke well of him. Man, you know, he's great. He was a good boy. He grew up here. They were amazed at his gracious words. And that, that gracious doesn't just mean he was kind and respectful. There's power in that word in the Greek. They were amazed. But then all of a sudden, they asked the question. And when you look at the Greek, it's negative. Isn't this Joseph's boy? Huh. Didn't he like grow up here? He's claiming to be the Messiah, going to put us right and set us free. The book of Mark has said, isn't that Mary's son? Like, I mean, his brothers used to live here. His sisters still do. The Bible says they were offended. Some of your scholars believe, they begin to think again about, is he really illegitimate? We know the story of how this kid was. And all of a sudden, this little village has its moment to make history. Could have been the very place where the miracle power of Christ spread out, but instead they begin to look for every reason not to believe. Now, Jesus said to them, surely you're going to use this proverb on me now. Physician, heal yourself. And then you'll tell me, do here at home what we heard you did in Capernaum. Now, what does that mean? Before you heal us, you best heal some things yourself. Like that story of your birth, like were you really legitimate? 
And all of a sudden, they begin to pick apart the chosen son of God who could have healed them. All of a sudden, these defense mechanisms rose up in them, and they began to pick him apart, and they said, prove it and we'll believe. There was no believe and see. There was see then believe. And how many of you know that's typically the reverse of what happens? And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, no prophet, no anointed man is accepted in the place where he should be. No prophet is typically accepted by the people that know him best, by the people that understand him the most by the people that have the most invested. Face it, at one point his mama thought he was crazy from overwork and came to take him home. His brothers who lived in the face of the miraculous with that kid, loving them, never believed until he was raised from the dead. And then Jesus gets really serious. He said, let me tell you what this is like. You ever wondered? I hear it all the time. Why there's so many miracles in other countries? You hear about that? How many times have we said, like, where are they? Why aren't they here? You say, well, we've got doctors or they're more desperate. We throw it around. Here's what Jesus said. Let me tell you what this is like. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. I assure you, and he points back in reality to the last two men that really walked in the, in the miraculous, Elijah and Elisha. He said, in the day of Elijah, there were probably thousands of widows. The sky was shut up for three and a half years. There was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. You know where that is? That's where Jezebel came from. That's her home country. Here's what you're saying. It's being repeated again that there's more faith in the pagan world for the miraculous than in the place where I grew up. Now they're getting really angry. Then he hits them again. Oh, and by the way, when Elisha came, there were lots of lepers just lots of them. There were lepers everywhere, yet not one Israelite leper was healed. It was their Syrian oppressor who'd enslaved them. Now, they're about, you're going to find them, I'll try to kill him in a minute. And he said, why is it that I'm here and you don't believe. He said, why is it that in drought, God, instead of sending his servant to the house of Israel, sent him outside the house of Israel? Why is it that there were thousands of lepers? They knew where Elisha lived. They knew where he was. Why did only Naaman come? They weren't real happy. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. 
they got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. What's to be learned from this? Why did Nazareth choose not to believe? They were the ones that knew Jesus best. He grew up there. Angels had visited there. Why? How could they not? And of course, his headquarters became Capernaum. Miracle Center. That could be dangerous too. Because in the book of Matthew, he says, Capernaum, if the miracles that were done in you would have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd still exist as a city. What do we learn from this? What is God looking for? What does God want? Why do we in America see so few miracles? But I've seen staggering miracles with old mentors that trained me overseas. What is it? What's wrong? I want to explore that with you a moment tonight. You know, when you look at the prophets, think about this just for a moment, if you will. Jeremiah was thrown in a pit by the king of Israel. Well, by his, whatever you want to call him, his court to die. When Nebuchadnezzar came, he said, by the way, that that Jeremiah, honor him. Wherever he wants to go, he goes. Don't boss him around. Leave him alone. Give him money. Give him garments. Treat him right. How about Elisha? The king was trying to murder him. When the king of, of the Syrian empire was sick, he sent 40 camels of presents to Elisha. What about Jonah? He preached in Israel or Samaria. They never repented. He went to the capital of the Syrian empire. They repented in ashes and sackcloth. What gives? Why are God's miraculous prophets so rarely accepted at home? What happens? Why does that work? Let's look at those two stories for a moment tonight. The the widow living over there in Jezebel land and their oppressor. Turn just for a moment with me in 1 Kings 17. Let's ask ourselves, like, how did this happen? What's wrong? 1 Kings 17, you know the story of Elijah and the widow at Zarephath. Elijah had stepped onto the stages of history Um, he was the first man ever recorded in history as raising the dead. Elisha, his disciple, was the second man, and the two of them were the only humans in the Old Testament associated with someone being raised from the dead. And his brook dried up. The ravens, which I might add, are unclean birds they weren't allowed to eat, had been feeding, you tell me. He'd been living with unclean birds bringing him food. And all of a sudden, God will mess with your mind, by the way. All of a sudden, God speaks, okay, you're out of water, 
and I've got good news for you. I've instructed a widow to take care of you. He goes, God be praised. Wealthy widow, I knew it. I'm tired. I, maybe I'm going down to Judea where they love prophets. And God said, by the way, I've directed a widow to supply you with food. He gets really happy. Go to Zarephath in Sidon. That's where Jezebel was born. Not that town, but that country. That's where her daddy ruled. He says, you're going to go into the heart of darkness. You're going to go into darkness. And I've got this widow. She's just waiting to take care of you. He goes, man, I'm sick of these birds feeding me. He rises up. Uh, let, let me tell you, right down this story, your miracle's never what you expect. He is on the way down there to see her. So he came to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, he looks in. He sees this decrepit, embittered, cranky, poverty-stricken widow. He goes, I know it isn't her. Holy Spirit goes, there she is. He goes, I rebuke you. Oh, I'm going back to the birds. Now, do you realize this woman, this woman is the first human in all of history to have a resurrection from the dead in her family. Why her? What was in this broken, shattered human that God sent him there? What was in her? Like what? You know, you know why I want to know? I could use a few miracles. What was God looking for in her? She wasn't like a woman of great faith. What was he looking for? When he came, he looks and he sees her. He's thinking, no, no, no. He figures, I know she's going to say no. Jesus, let her say no. Please help me. Because he wouldn't say Jesus then. Lord, help me. Okay, now. He looks in. He said, man, I better do something easy here. Like just kind of maybe warm up to her. He called her and said, hey, could you bring me a little water in a jar that I may have a drink? Much to his amazement. She doesn't know him. She knows he's Jewish. Some scholars speculate she's a God-fearer because of the way she talks about God. She looks at it and with no questions asked, she goes to get water. He's thinking, hey, hey. hmm, face kind of rising up. How about a piece of bread? <laughs> doesn't even look back. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, don't have any bread. He's thinking, just getting bad right now. I got a handful of flour in a jar. I got a little bit of olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal, and die. We've got this concept in America. You got to have a lot of faith to get healed. Let me tell you, God's not just attracted to faith. She really had no faith. Oh, yeah, I'll get you some bread. I don't got much bread. We're going to die today anyway. He's thinking, my God, I, I'm missing those ravens. And the spirit of prophecy comes on him. And he says to her, don't be afraid. That anointing touches her. Go home. Do as you said. But make the first loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself. Number one, she knew she made it for him. There was nothing for South. Here's an old woman in a place of pain and 
Man, there's no canon for her to read. I doubt she's ever been around a temple. But all of a sudden, something she goes, well, maybe it'll work. I mean, if I die earlier than I thought, so be it. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I mean, it's a fairly serious miracle. You have to ask yourself. God's not just attracted to faith. He's attracted to human pain. God's empathetic. Your high priest, the Bible says, feels your pain. He's not ignorant of your suffering. It's interesting to me that both Elijah and Elisha both raised dead people. They were the first two. And both of them raised a dead person in a home where they were living. Elijah with her. Elisha would stay from time to time with the wealthy family. Why is that important? Because it began to create empathy in their hearts and compassion, which is part of the foundation of a miracle. It pulled on them. And I want you to know, long before I had people, faith, had people had faith in the Old Testament, God says, I heard their cry. I heard their cry. The Israelites under Pharaoh had no faith. God says, I heard their cry. Hagar had no faith. Listen, her little boy die. I heard her cry. I tell you by the Holy Spirit tonight, God hears your cry. Many of you have disqualified yourself from a miracle because you don't think you have enough faith. God hears your cry. He hears your cry and he's coaxing you into a miracle. She started slowly. Well, here's a drink of water. Here's a bit of bread. But it's a setup. You see, she's getting ready to have the first child in the Bible raised from the dead. First one. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said, Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Deep down inside, she wasn't convinced God cared. Deep down inside, she thought, I know I sinned. I've not been a righteous woman. No wonder everyone's died that belongs to me. My husband's gone. I'm on my own. And now look what God's done to me again. And Elijah, as tough a prophet as ever lived, this is a man that called down fire on soldiers. This is a man that wiped out part of Baalism in a nation. But he's rent to the heart. Rent. Give me your son. And he grabs that boy. He takes him in his arms. And he carries him to the one place in the house that represents faith and rest to him. His room. And he laid that boy in the bed And he cried out to God, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Now, I won't go into the theology of that, but suffice it to say, he got moved. God's moved 
by your cry tonight. He's moved by your plight. He's moved by your pain. You say, I don't have any faith. I don't even have a perfect life. That's why you have a perfect Savior. He's coming to take your greatest need in his arms tonight. You say, Pastor, I only got a little oil. I'm not really anointed if I just apply oil there. I don't have much bread. But I'm given out of my nothing to make a place for God. I know I've sinned. He's moved. That hard, tough prophet, not known for crying about anything, is broken. Because God made him live with him to understand him. Some of you are living with pain right now. I know the feeling. He's etching the marks of divine empathy in your heart so you can feel for someone other than yourself. Empathy is at the seedbed of the miraculous. He goes up. Now, you understand, how many of you know the first thing's hardest? Like, he's never seen anyone raised from the dead. Moses was astonishing. But we don't know of anyone being raised from the dead. Plenty of folk killed, but no one raised from the dead. <laughs> like he doesn't know what to do. I mean, this is before the atonement. We know lamb sacrificed, you know, before the foundation of the earth. But he didn't know what to do, and he just realizes, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to lay my life down. He lays down on that boy. Lays his life down. That's kind of in some ways prefiguring the real Savior who would walk into a dark world and lay his life down for you. No faith. He heard the cry of a broken humanity. He didn't quit. Three times he laid his life down and cried, let the boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life Returned to him. And he picked the child up and returned her to his mother. And the woman said, now I know you're a man of God. And the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. He's heard you cry tonight. Short of oil. Not much bread. I don't have much faith. God doesn't just come for faith. He hears the cry. He hears the cry. And it's so important for us to begin to hear the same cry God hears. Because until you do, you, won't be, you will not lay your life down for someone you love to have a miracle. Second story. Let's go over there to 2 Kings 5. Not going to be much longer. Why Naaman? How many of you would say, if you were to Christian school, Naaman would have been least likely to get a miracle in your annual? Raise your hand. <laughs> he, he was enslaving them, butchering them. He was the greatest warrior in all of Syria. Feared. The king, the Bible, the king said, the, the king would lean on his right arm. That means when the king went to the temple, he was at the right hand of the king. And one of the people he had enslaved was a little girl 
who never let her bonds create bitterness. And she told her mistress in 2 Kings 5, I'm not going to read it all, it's too long. And she said, mistress, I know you love your husband because I know under his armor he's got leprosy. But when I was a little girl before I was enslaved, remember my mama telling me about this man named Elisha. And he's a healer. And the woman's ears perked up. She said, I'll bet if your husband went, he'd be healed too. This man, the leper, it doesn't even make sense to me. Naaman, at the word of a little slave, he goes to the king and gets hundreds of pounds of silver, hundreds of pounds of gold, and goes to the very people he's crushed in battle and asks for help. I just have to say, if one of the most brutal conquerors in Syrian history can be moved to have faith at the words of a little slave, what's it take to move us? Why wouldn't anyone else knocking on Elisha's door? Why weren't the lepers lining up? Why weren't the sick coming? Why? Like, why? I, I can't figure it, except I'm the same way with God myself sometimes. It's like when all else fails, I'll try him. Naaman gets his entourage. You know the story. He gets a letter from his sovereign to the king of uh, Israel. Remember, it was divided at that point, Jew to Israel. The king of Israel's in a panic. You can read for yourself. I mean, tears his clothes. Am I God? Can I kill? Can I bring that guy back to life? And he just thinks, okay, they want to make war on us again. We're doomed. Old Elisha's down at his house by the Jordan River. Jordan River is pretty significant to Elisha. You remember that? He'd wa- Elijah had parted the Jordan for him to go out. And when, the, when he caught the mantle, his sign was he parted the Jordan, went back to the other side. He's living down there on the Jordan. He sends word to the king. I love what he said. When Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes. That's a big sign in those days, by the way. Grief, brokenness, despair. He said, send him to me. He's going to find out that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman's got an entourage. You understand, this is one of the most powerful humans in the ancient world. This is the man. At the words of a little slave, he's journeyed to another land. No wonder God was attracted to him. But Naaman had to overcome what I believe other than this perception that I don't have the exact ounce of faith necessary to be healed. The reason we have so much trouble. He comes to Elijah's house. I mean, this is the man. He commands thousands. Go and tell the prophet that Naaman is here. One of his aides gets out. 
Elisha's servant peeks out. Naaman is here. He awaits the prophet to heal him. He comes with gifts. <laughs> prophet don't come out. I think prophet probably made him wait a while. He aggravated. I've pretty much conquered this. He splashed through the Jordan River. Means nothing to him. Means everything to God. Jordan River. Joshua saw it part. Elijah saw it part. Elisha saw it part. John would preach there. Jesus would baptize and be baptized there in that river. Finally, a servant comes out. Naaman, I'm going to ad lib here. Elijah, Elisha will not be seeing you today. But if you want to be healed, go down to that Jordan River. You know, the one you just rode your horse through. The one that you always ride over when you conquer us. You're going to go down to the Jordan River. Go wash yourself. Oh, that's a kind of a nasty insinuation. Go wash yourself, not once, seven times. Then you'll be restored and you'll be cleansed. Goodbye. (laughs) Naaman went away mad. He was offended because his expectation of how God would heal him was not met. It's just not the way I expected. I thought. A lot of you, that's your problem. You think. You don't believe, you think. You've got your miracle planned out. You know just how it's going to happen to a dignified person like you. I thought he would come out and stand in front of me. And call on the name of the Lord is God. And wave his hand over the spot. Surely Pastor Brett will come and wave his hand over me. Oh, he'll wave his hand over the spot. Surely Jim Pritchard will prophesy such a word of my comfort and my healing. And cure me of my leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar? Are not what I grew up with better? Are not my traditions cleaner? Is not my understanding better? Is not the way I thought it would happen better? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Many people that are enraged and walk away from God because he didn't heal them, they're really walking away because God was unwilling to do it the way they wanted it. I've watched Christians walk away from church enraged. Walk away from the moment of their miracle enraged. Pastor had no time. He had no time. That didn't happen. Naaman had a good servant, though. We got the Holy Spirit. That's better. He said... My father, if that prophet would have told you to do like some great thing, you know, fight a giant, win a war, fight a great champion, you would have done it. How much more when he tells you, wash and be clean? Jordan River flows in this church. It's a place of repentance. It's a place of crossing over. Kind of dirty, turbid sometimes, not real clean and professional, maybe like the world all the time. 
You know, I'm kind of orderly, Pastor Jim. I, I would never want to fall down if God healed me. That's weird. I don't like all that lines and messing up things. No, I don't like that. I just need someone to wave their hand over me and be fine, speak a good word to me. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan. Now, that means he's taking that armor off, probably. People could see that leprosy. They could see finally what had been eating him under the armor of his reputation. God will strip you down to reality, beloved. He'll strip that reputation off you. He'll strip that arrogance off you. And he walked down that old Jordan. He thought, I've ridden my horses through that to conquer them more than once. Dip the first time, not a change. Dip the second time, not a change. Three, four. We know number is the number of completion. Five, six, seven. His flesh was restored, became clean like that of a little boy. I guess Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said, if you ever want anything from me, you better be like a little boy or a little girl. I don't want your preconceptions. Don't need your arrogance. It's not helpful. I don't need you to figure out for me how I'm going to heal you. I just maybe need you to obey me. Hmm. Must have hurt Jesus when his hometown didn't want him. He said, I guess it shouldn't surprise me. When the last two miracle workers were on the earth, Jesus said, they had more acceptance in pagan nations than this nation. Hmm. Let me summarize it and say this. Holy Spirit's here tonight. Just is. If I don't have a lot of faith, he's heard you cry. He'll coax you into a miracle. Little water, little bread, little miracle, raising the dead. She went from miraculous bread to raising the dead. One old woman in all the Middle East who God said, I'll go there. Hmm. Oh, Naaman, just no way. Naaman believed that his leprosy could be cured on the testimony of a little female slave. We got apostles, prophets, Bible, word, church. What's he looking for? He's heard your cry. He'll build your faith as you trust with him. But it's his way. It's probably going to strip you some. If you need the Lord to freshly galvanize your faith tonight, just put your hand up. Holy Spirit, help us. Whatever that old woman had, whatever Naaman had, we ask for it. I ask the Lord that You'd send us and come to us. We'd come to you and you'd help us. I believe, Lord, that right here in this church, they're in the brink of a season of miracles. And we're thankful for it. 
And I'd pray you'd help us to cultivate in our lives an atmosphere where the miraculous grows, not dies.